When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Windy City Podcast, episodes five and six of The Last Dance. Sam Smith, Bulls.com is coming up. I pulled some clips from my interview with Horace Grant that I'm going to bring back as well tonight. And then Brian Beto, longtime radio guy who was an intern for me back in, oh, a long time ago, 2007 or so. Huge, huge Bulls fan. Uh, is going to be on the program as well. I think you'll really enjoy the conversation with uh, Brian. But let me start with my thoughts on five and six, as I'm really just kind of amazed by a lot of it. Number one, Jordan riding with Ahmad Rashad at the end of it, in the rain, going to the United Center right before the playoffs and openly talking about how he doesn't think he's going to miss it, like he's trying to convince himself. And I'm, like, just amazed. Do you not know how much you love basketball? Yes, it's a grind. Yes, you get annoyed with the media, whatever it is. But, of course, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss playing your stupid quarters game with the security guards. We're getting way too much airtime, enough with the security guards. Good Lord. Although I did like the... Randy Brown moment. You just got a ticket from God. That was hysterical. And a little bit of a look in how MJ, there's a little truth there, right? He kind of feels like he's God-like somewhere in there, right? No problem, Mike. It's okay. You can you can believe you're God himself, at least at moments. And I don't know. There's a whole lot of these security guys are just getting a little bit too much airtime. But it's just amazing to me that he doesn't know that he's going to miss it. Ahmad, man, it's going to suck when I can't play anymore. And I still think I got a couple years in me, but I just don't know if I can take the grind of it, but I'm really going to miss the game. He won't go there. He's not being honest. And then, you know, other moments of just, I'd love to see a little bit more reflection. When you go back and they're asking him about the Jesse Helms North Carolina United States Senate election of 1990 and how he was unwilling, even though his mother asked him to endorse Harvey Gantt against one of the worst people of all time, complete borderline white supremacist, racist, pathetic human being, and he wouldn't do it. I would have loved to have seen him said, you know what? I was a pussy. Yeah, I was. I was too worried about my image. It was a huge mistake. I should have listened to my mother. But instead, he goes in about how he doesn't want to be Muhammad Ali. Mike, Mike, no one's asking you for you to be Muhammad Ali. We're not asking you to give up the boxing career because you don't want to go to war. We're asking you to endorse Harvey Gantt against a terrible individual. And the fact that you're sitting here in 2020 and can't look back and think that was a huge mistake. 
and he holds on to the, well, Republicans, that was just an off-the-cuff mark made on the bus or wherever it was. Dude, that's not the point. Look in the mirror just a little bit. That should bother you. I made a mistake. And, and hey, no one's perfect. It's okay, right? No problem. Admit it. One thing he did admit tonight that I was pretty surprised by, Isaiah Thomas, you got your props, dude. Second best point guard of all time. And I agree with that. Isaiah was freaking awesome. And you can't put him ahead of Magic because Magic's Magic. But you can put him second. And Jordan did it. I That was big-time props for Zeke. After all, the he, he was still an asshole. And I think what was actually lost about the walk-off part last week, he was still an asshole that day. Now, I'm sure he thinks, you know, he's not exactly Isaiah's a huge – he's not a fan of Isaiah's. But I think that asshole thing was very specific to that particular day. So I thought that was a hell of a compliment uh, from Jordan going to Isaiah. Now, Jordan was motivated because Jerry Krause loved Dan Marley. Oh, my God. That Jerry Krause thing, I mean, I knew it was deep. But Dan Marley, he wanted to prove to Krause. Lord knows what kind of comments Krause was making at him. Dan Marley's a great defender. Dan Marley's a great defender. You can't, you know, he's going to give you trouble. And then he's going to go out and he's going to kill Dan Marley. Dan Marley, by the way, was picked 13th in the 1988 draft. The Bulls took Will Perdue 11th. So if he loved Dan Marley so much, what do you think? Will Perdue was Wilt Chamberlain? He probably did, the great Jerry Krause. And that's another thing. Jerry, after the second championship in 92, you're spewing that nonsense about organizations win championships. Jerry Reinsdorf, Jerry Reinsdorf, Jerry Reinsdorf. Dude, it's not Jerry Reinsdorf. It's not you. And it's not the ticket guy, Joe O'Neill, who's complaining about how many tickets he had to give out in 1998. That was a little too much for me, too. I get it. The celebrities are coming out and they did lots of tickets. E- easy there. You had a great job. Now your job's hard, getting somebody to go to a Bulls game. Now, that's difficult. Back then, you had the greatest gig ever. And I know a lot of ticket demands, whatever. But all he had to say was, this is the greatest night of my life. I'm a lifelong Chicagoan. I love this franchise. We've I never, in my wildest dreams, thought I would be the general manager of a back-to-back championship team parting at Chicago Stadium. This is... For a kid that went to Taft High School, who no one gave a chance to, I am so incredibly grateful to Jerry Reinsdorf, to Michael Jordan, and to anybody that had in any way, shape, or form that I have contributed to this. You know, my small part, hey, I you know, I, I hope that I was a help, but this is just incredible. Now imagine his how he would have been viewed if he said something like that. After 92. After, I mean, just unbelievable. Truly, truly incredible. Uh, I thought it was interesting, too, because I've always, con- my contention is that the 91 team was the best team. But Michael Wilbon on the, on, the, on the episode tonight, 92 was the best team. You can make that argument. Their slog through the playoffs was a lot tougher in 92 than it was in 91. But 
you could say that New York was a better team. That block, too, on Charles Smith, I've seen it a million times. Scottie Pippen's block, the third foray in, Horace the block, Michael the strip, then Scottie blocks him again, and then I think Horace gets him for a fourth time. The third one was just an incredible, incredible performance. And Scottie Pippen, his confidence, arrogance, and smirks, Looking at Charles Oakley, Patrick Ewing, John Starks, he had all sorts of confidence going on, which he did not have if you rewind back the tape when he was going up against Detroit. You go back to the migraine or the years prior to that, that swagger was not there. But in 92, he had it, and it kept going up and up and up and up from there. All right, we're going to bring my guy Sam Smith in here to start the show. Conversation with Sam this weekend on WGN Radio. I'm bringing back a portion for you. I love Sam. One last thought. I cannot believe how many damn cigars this dude smoked. Michael was just puffing down. How the hell are you the greatest player on the planet smoking that much cigars? Wouldn't you get tired? Wouldn't your lung capacity go down? That was incredible. All right, let us bring in my guy, Sam Smith, Bulls.com, formerly of the Chicago Tribune, the Jordan Rules. Mark, I'm good. I, I wonder what you're calling about. <laughs> I've been texting with you, and I'm like, I wonder if Sam is willing to talk about this. Michael Jordan's out there saying that Horace Grant was telling Sam Smith everything, and it's like, you know, writer's not going to give up his source on who he wrote for the book, but you said you would talk about it. So is, is MJ correct in his assertion that Horace Grant was giving you all this information before you wrote the Jordan rules? You know, Michael is been very successful in a lot of things, obviously basketball and business, and more so than most, you know, like, uh, being a billionaire. Um, journalism is not his specialty. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, it's really ludicrous. Uh, you know, and I understand, you know, what's popularized journalism, this notion of, like, deep throat, you know, all the president's men, and, and this is how journalism works. Well, there was deep throat. You know, and that because people didn't want to talk. You know, in sports, everybody talks. <laughs> you, know, you don't need a source in sports. And the notion that one person was responsible for 300 pages of a book. The other thing is, you know, I, I, I don't get offended. Yeah, there's no reason. But I had been an investigative reporter in Washington, D.C. before I got into sports and before I came to Chicago in 79. So, you know, I had some experience writing, you know, serious sort of stories. And then I was traveling with the Bulls, you know, for many years before the Jordan Rules came out. So it's pretty, I mean, it seemed to me it would be pretty hard to imagine that after all these years of knowing, say, Phil, who I met, yeah, I did a feature uh, for the Tribune uh, Sunday Magazine story on the, what was then the CBA, and I was in Albany uh, with Phil in 1982, and um, Johnny Box, an old friend from Brooklyn. Um, I've traveled, we traveled commercial, so we all sat together, coach, not they didn't name it for them, but I always sat with Tex and Johnny on the plane uh, to and from all the games. 
you know, because they didn't leave after back then. We waited till the next morning to come home and whatever. You know, Bill Cartwright, being an older guy who, you, you know, wasn't close with any of these young kids on the team, all these draft picks, you know, Jerry had cleverly put together. Uh, so, he, you know, he hung out with me a lot because we were on the road together. So, you know, given all this, and, and let me tell you one story, too. This, this is fine. Kraus, you know, was a difficult personality. Not, it's unfortunate he's getting treated as he is. But, you know, Michael is like, you know, it's like the Seinfeld. So remember they had a show on, on the Festivus? Where where the guy was did the airing of grievances, sure, and and it's kind of like that. Michael seems to be celebrating Festivus still. <laughs> he's got his grievance against Krauss and you know Isaiah Thomas, <laughs> so he's he's going through all his grievances like he did his Hall of Fame speech. But anyway, so uh, you know we we when we traveled, we'd be on, you know on the same hotels and all, and so I, we were in Portland, and I was in the lobby, and Jerry. And I, I, you know, I got along uh, well, okay, with Jerry. You know, he was difficult to get along with, but, um, but I'm, you know, on the team doing the beat. I got to talk to everybody. So I'm in the lobby, and Jerry says, "What are you doing for dinner?" You know, and you know, I'm stricken initially. (laughs) So I said, "Wow, well, all right, you know, nothing." He said, "Well, let's go." Jerry had lived in Portland, and he was a GM of a minor league team, so he knew Portland pretty well. So he says. You, you know, let, let me take you to one of my favorite places, and so we do. We go out and wait. Hold know, on. What, was, what, what year is this? This is fascinating. This was the year. Uh, it was either the year of the Jordan rules or the year before. So, but uh, this, so it's not after the Jordan rules because I felt no, no. It was before. Okay, okay. Go after ahead. the Jordan rules, he never spoke to me again. Uh, right. That's what I'm thinking. Okay. Continue yeah. on. My bad. And so he said, you know, let's. And so we have dinner. It was nice weather for some reason in Portland, which usually isn't. And uh, and then he says, you know, let me take you over my ballpark, and I want to show you, you know. And so I could spend, you know, a whole day with him. We went to see his ballpark, and we went to a favorite bar and all these stuff. So, you know, it, it, Jerry, I asked, you know, I obviously asked him some questions during it. <laughs> told me some things. So, you know, I even, I, I even you know, had – Settings with you know you know Jerry, Jerry Krause and then you know Phil I've known a long time you know back to, like I said from the CBA and you know uh, and then there was also all these support people Mark File I knew Mark really well he was the traveling secretary and the trainer and so you know he was aware so the point was if you're around a team like I was for multiple years and knew all these people and had relationships how is it that I needed one guy who wasn't connected really to the coaching staff or management to tell me everything that was going on. How is that, how is that possible? You think Horace was aware of all these things? I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a ludicrous notion. And, and, and if you, you read the Jordan rules, what you'll find out is it, it, there's no league sources in it. People are all quoted. You know, they, you know, I had told them many times, you know, that I said, I'll, you know, I'll write these things if you haven't seen, but I'm, I'm not giving it. I'm not doing sources. You put your name to it, and they did. You know, and so if you go through that book, you'll see most of the guys are quoted, you know, by name, saying that, saying what they say. I, I remember one thing that was in there where I was like, how did he get that? And it was something about you. You, you talked about a conversation that Pax had with his wife in his car. Do you, do you remember that at all? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, well, how the hell did he get that? So like, what was he in the back seat? Well, did you ever read? Uh, did you ever read? You know, I mentioned the Woodward and Bernstein. And did you ever read, you know, read all the President's Men? Yeah. Well, all the President's Men 
you know, recreates an awful lot of conversations that there was no way Wilbur or Bernstein were sitting there for. Right. You know, Nixon in the White House talking to the, you know, the picture of uh, George Washington on the wall. So how did they know that if they weren't there? Well, you know, there's various ways you do it in general reporting is you talk to the principals and then you have to talk to the people who the principals talk to. And so, you know, that's how you confirm it. You, you find, you know, one person, and you talk to someone else, and you talk to someone else. And, you know, you know it's like the, you know, the kid's story, you, you know, where you, one tells the next in a circle until it comes around. That's why you have to talk to multiple people, because when people, you know, you know in journalism, when people tell you something, whatever it is they tell you, if they're involved in, they're going to be the hero of the story. Because nobody tells you a story which they're the bad guy. So you've got to talk to a number of people to figure out the middle ground, what the real story is. You, you know, it's like the detective, you know, police shows. You know, they talk to all these people to try and figure out what the real story is because nobody ever tells you the real story. And that's why you should – what you, what you read from journalists, what you see on TV from journalists is, is a lot closer to the truth than anything you hear from a sports figure or a politician. Because those people in journalism doing that, if they make it up, not only do they lose their job, but they never get one again. You know, it, you, there's no second chance in journalism if you've lied and made up stuff. You know, and there were famous stories at the Washington Post and New York Times of those reporters who fabricated stories, and they never worked in journalism again. And, and, and as we've seen in other areas, you can lie all you want and you continue to keep your job. You don't in journalism. That's the only place you don't. What really provoked that they didn't they didn't mention that at all, but I because I remember being there. It was after Game Three, and we flew back. Uh, we were in a, not flew back. We were there, you know. And obviously the Bulls are going to sweep now. They dominated this series. The Pistons are just out of it, uh, and the Bulls are way better. And I remember the year before when the Bulls lost in seven when Scotty had the uh, migraine. I remember Phil saying that during that series when we were back in Chicago. Um, and the one 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 at the end, he he said he told the team, and you know somebody told me not Horace, or maybe it was Horace, who knows? <laughs> but he said, you know, we get to a hundred points. No, he told us. It was I remember it was a media thing. He said, look, we're going to win every game. We get to a hundred points, and we just got to get to a hundred points. <laughs> I remember him saying, you know, that they didn't have the home court advantage then, and he said this this is this is this is even better because we get four chances to win on their court instead of three. You know, and the players looking yeah, around, going, "How does that make sense?" And you know, but nobody can kind of figure it out. Um, but anyway, so they're up three zero. You know, and 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 in the show, Michael made a point of the sportsmanship, and obviously, you know, it was un- frankly, I don't have any problem not shaking your hands after the game. I, you know, I none of us played at those levels, but I didn't like shaking guys' hands who beat me afterwards. I, I was fine to leave, and I I didn't ever see any problem with that. I don't think you have to shake. You know, LeBron had trouble with that one time, but he's he's always walked off the course when he lost at the end. And and I like the fact that you're mad when you lost. Um, Me too. You know, so I I never had an issue with that. Now, here's two things. Two 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 things about that. One was okay. Three zero. Michael unprovoked. We sitting there with him, and he just went off and eviscerated the Pistons. You know, you know, this is a two-time champion who's been in the finals three years in a row. They don't deserve one championship. They're an embarrassment to basketball in the league. They had to take away their trophy. And he's just going on and on for like a half hour of this. 
And, you know, back then there's no t- tweets and stuff. And so nobody knows really among the Pistons. You know, they've gone home already. Their f- practice was before the Bulls came to the arena. And so they wake up the next day, and the Detroit papers, front page headlines in every Detroit paper was, right. you know, Pistons are losers, don't deserve to be champions. And, you know, Michael was just provoking him. Michael was being Michael. I knew what he was doing, you know, and, and but that's why they walked off. But here's something that nobody mentioned. I don't think anyone remembers it. And even I'm not sure what happened, but, I, but I've always had my suspicion that this was more bulls rubbing it in. Okay, so... Detroit scores a meaningless basket at the end, you know, down 20 points. And now it's 24 seconds left, and, and that's it. The Bulls get the ball. And I think it was B.J. got it, dribbles up over the half-court line, and now it's standing there, as we see in all these areas. The Bulls called timeout to stop. That's when Detroit walked off, because they were starting to walk off as the clock is winding down in those last 24 seconds. But once the timeout came, and I wasn't sure if it's, but I can't be sure if it's the Bulls. I think it was the Bulls. It might have been the officials because of the, what was going on. But I think the Bulls may have called timeout to further rub it in, <laughs> and and that's why the walkout seems so extreme because everything stopped, and now you you got that picture of Jordan with his arms crossed, like looking at him. But that's because they called timeout when the clock was running out. You know, it was, it was like a Jim Boylan thing. I do remember the pause. I'm, I'm doubting that Phil or any of them would have called timeout, so I'm thinking it was an official thing. But it was awkward because things had stopped, and and so it got... Well, you know the Pistons didn't call timeout. No, no, they they didn't. And, and for the record, just one thing on Isaiah Thomas, if I could just put it out there. The the guy keeps moving the goalposts every single day. Well, the Celtics did it this way. Well, well, the Bulls disrespected. I mean, come on, man. You just you just own. Look, we hated them. They hated us. We still hate them today. And be done with it. And I, and and we're good. Like he doesn't. Well, I think he was done with it, but then it got brought up again. You know, he didn't bring it up. Yeah, you know, it got brought up again, and you know, in this, and so yeah, the Boston thing was kind of ludicrous. That was sort of revisionist history. I think they were just trying to come up with something, but that was a different circumstance because that was on a visiting court. They were Boston was getting off because you know it it was everyone was going nuts, and they were you know they were they were running off the court to save themselves. So you know, so that was a, a very different situation. This one was in Detroit. Uh, and, 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 you know, over the years, everybody but Lambeer has, you know, has said that it was a mistake. They shouldn't have done it. Good for him for sticking with it. Go ahead, Bill. Right. <laughs> you know Bill would be the one who would. Right. Who do you blame the most for the Bulls breaking up after 98? And, and if you're going to say that they wouldn't have won in 99, let me just throw the caveat in there. Like, I would have rather seen them lost. I, I think they would have won in 99. Some people don't. That's fine. But I would rather have seen the team actually lose. Who you know they're they're underlining Kraus and people are wondering why. Well, is the it... truth is Jordan broke it up. See, the that's what I thought you were going to say. Just like he broke it up in '93, you know, which was fine. He, you know, the circumstances and everything with his father's death, very understandable. And there was no way he was coming back. He, you know, I know he said he was never played for another coach until he did played for Doug Collins, and. It was, you know, it was a great Jordan thing, the way to get through the season, to have this challenge, you know, like, oh, Jeff and Gundy called me a con man, and, and Leroy Smith beat me out in high school. <laughs> you know, and all these crazy things he would come up with that would drive him. And he knew he needed some motivation after these two incredible, you know, two and a half seasons of, you know, the biggest show on earth, you know, and what he, what he went through and pushed himself. And Dennis is kind of coming apart in the 97 finals. And, you know, Scotty has now postponed his surgery so he could purposely miss half the season. And, you know, and, and so he sees all this. But look, 
if Michael Jordan wanted to come back and play in 98-99, are you telling me the NBA and Jerry Reinsdorf would not have brought him back? Remember, remember for all the trade Pippen stuff in 97, you know, with Boston, which actually may have worked out, it may have been better for the Bulls to have done, you know, Jerry Reinsdorf didn't let it happen, you know, because of that. And I'm I'm certain that after that 97-98 season, Michael had the opportunity to to return uh, with a kit, with an with an assurance that everybody else would be offered the same number of years that he would be getting, which was one. But Scotty wanted you know was wasn't under any circumstances staying. Dennis you know goes to the Lakers and like blew up you know was completely out of control. Uh, you know, but Michael was smarter than everybody. He saw this. He recognizes. He he recognized. I'm not coming back. And you heard him say it himself when Dennis went to Vegas. I, I'm I can't. I'm all by myself. Well, he yeah. wasn't all by himself. You know, Ron Harper's there, who coach Long, whatever. But that's what he viewed. If it, it wasn't an insult to those other guys, it was more like without Scotty and Dennis, you know, at a high level, you know, I can't carry all this. And, and he remembered ninety two, ninety three, what an ordeal that was, and, and you know, drove him out of the game to some extent. So he he did not want want any part of it. He wasn't up to it. And and I think that was appropriate. And and look, he came back and. I hope they ask he, him if he if he regrets it. Because if I'm him, uh, you know, I'm like, look, you could you could have played, man. Why, why? I don't think he has a single regret about it really? at, at all. I, you know, I, I think I think he felt not only he doesn't regret it. I feel he, he he believes he did the right thing. Would do it that way again. And there was there was no way that he wanted to come back under the circumstances with that team, which he which he understood because it was around him. He saw what was going on with Scotty. He saw what was going on with Dennis, and he knew Phil had said even as far back as ninety six ninety seven that you, you know I, I I don't want to be around more than seven years. And it had nothing to do with Reinsdorf or Kraus or Dennis or Pippen or whatever. It's just. He had this thing in his mind that you, uh, you, you, voice got to change with your group after seven years, and now he has stayed through nine. And you heard him say that in the show, that that, that very thing. He said, "Now you know I'm, I've been this. Uh, I, I was thinking of leaving after seven years, and now it's the year nine. So, you know, Phil had one foot out the door, you know, all season long for that sabbatical. He couldn't wait to get to, and so Michael Michael recognized all this. Michael Michael is much sharper than everybody else." And he, he realized that th- this was not tenable, and he was not walking into a situation where he had no chance again. He went through that in the early 80, 80s, and he did not want any part of that again. You don't like Sam Smith? Then I don't like you. Great conversation with Sam. Again, appreciate him being on. I wanted to bring back a little bit of my conversation with Horace Grant that happened around the All-Star game. You can go back and listen to the full episode if you choose. But Horace in the crosshairs a little bit, so I figured we'd bring back a little bit with that. And uh, yes, of course, we start where you got to start with Horace Grant. Who did you hate most on the Pistons team? 
Man, it's that crybaby uh, BLM beer. I <laughs> see. There's a long, long <laughs> list now. I mean, I, I couldn't stand any of them. I hated Isaiah. I, I hated Lambeer. I hated Rodman. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I didn't even like Spider Cell, and he was a fairly nice dude. But I, I, I hated all of them in that uniform. Well, you remember, uh, I punched uh, Joe Dumars, one of the nicest guys. <laughs> you know, he hit me with an elbow, and I punched him. Of course, I got thrown out the game, but. Um, Lambeer was something different, man. Um, it seems like he wanted to to end your career out there. Um, you know, back in the day, being physical, that was the 80s and 90s. That was okay. But to try to really hurt someone, uh, it's kind of crossing the line. Yeah, I remember in, like, one of the championship videos, you talked about it, like, that you got hit with an elbow in one game and, and Michael's coming over to you. You're, you're making a face right now. Yeah. Was that Lambeer that hit you? And you were like, you, I mean, you were fuming. No, that was uh, James Edwards. Okay. That was, I call him Buddha. Yeah. Actually, he's a good friend of mine. Um, he just hit me with the elbow, and MJ came over. I'll never forget this. He came over and said, man, do not let them see you hurt. I know I know it's hurting, but don't let them see you hurt. And that, that seemed like the pain just left my face. I'm like, all right, all right. And uh, I think that was just a part of uh, getting more mature as a, as a team and as a player. Well, and you – Coming up, you had to go against Oak and practice every day. I mean, that had to be some hurt right there. Man, that was ice baths every night going against Oak. I mean, that's my man from then until now. Um, he taught me the ins and outs on the court, um, how to never back down, how to be physical, um, and kind of taught me the streets a little bit too. Well, you've played with so ma- I mean, you play with Michael. You play with Scotty. You 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 were a three-time champion with the Bulls. You won a championship with the Lakers. You played with Shaq. You played with Penny. You you play with Kobe yeah. in his prime. Yeah. I mean, this is a it's a it's really the who's who of the NBA, the '90s and, and, and late '80s and, and the 2000s too. I mean, you got all of them in there. I was watching Kobe was talking. I don't know you saw him with Steven Jackson and Matt Barnes on their podcast, mm-hmm. and they asked him, "Do you do you ever sit with Michael and and just talk shop?" And yeah, yeah, we do. He's like, and what was he say? Well, how would my '91 team do against your '03 team? And so then I was thinking of you because you you can you can speak to that. And and, and well, what, but what did Michael say? He said, "I well, number one, let's do matchups. I'd go against you and I'd bust your ass." And so <laughs> and they're and they're laughing about it. But like, what what team do you think that you played on was was, was the best team? Oh man, gosh, I've been so blessed to play. Oh man, so many uh, great teams. I remember, of course, winning that first one against the against the Lakers and Magic Johnson, James Worthy, Sam Perkins, man, and you know you had Vladi and you had AC Green. Um, my year in 2001, when we went undefeated with the Lakers, went undefeated um, um, in the playoffs. We lost only one game against Philadelphia in the finals. Um, that was a crazy game with Allen Iverson stepping over Ty Lue. Man. What a performance for that guy. Hey. Just to get one win in that series is unbelievable. Listen, he was the answer, man. I'm yeah. telling you. Um, but if I – I mean, even though our record was better back then in 01, I would have to go with, uh, with the Bulls. And, and I say that in respect that you cannot bet against Michael Joy. So – and then when we go through the Bulls teams, a lot of people fly off like 90, 95, 96, the 72 win team was the best. And and I say, uh, me personally, mm-hmm. I go with 91. Mm-hmm. 
Y'all went 15 and two in the playoffs. The two games you lost in and out against the Lakers in game one, you all were tight. It was the first game in the finals, yeah. and you still almost won. The game was halfway down, came out. And the other game you lost was to the Sixers. I think you were down like 24 yeah. and pushed that one to overtime and lost by two. You swept Detroit. You swept the Knicks. Mm-hmm. You had you all were athletically in your prime, and that team. Maybe you didn't know how good you were, but that team in '92 was a little more wear and tear. I I, I just go with the '91 team. I, I mean, that's that's one reason why I said uh, you know even though we had a better record when I was with the Lakers in the in the in the playoff, um, that that '91 team was something special, man, and. And the, the company non- nominated would probably be me and Dennis Rodman. Right. And we both can play defense. Uh, we, I mean, he's a better rebounder, but I held my own, and there's no way he can outscore me. <laughs> right. And 54 is a bull. Mm-hmm. You were a better offensive player than Rodman, mm-hmm. and you were and you were younger, that team. And, and I also look at it like it was 91 MJ versus 96 MJ. I'm mm-hmm. taking 91 MJ. All day. I mean, that 96 MJ was a killer, but that, that 91, <laughs> that dude was something special, man, because he knew after we got over the hump of Detroit Piston, he knew that we had the team to uh, make it to the finals. And when Michael Jordan make it to the finals, he don't lose. <laughs> yeah, and right. You you guys had to get over that hump. But once if you if Detroit hadn't been in your way, you, you, you might have – but I also think it made you guys who you were, right? <laughs> Yeah, um, but MJ, he would never give Detroit that 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 much credit in really? terms of um, saying that they didn't make us; we made ourselves. You know, we knew what we had to do. Yeah, yet and still, we had to get over there, uh, get over that hump, meaning the the, the Pistons. But um, we just knew mentally we had to come prepa- uh, be prepared for them. Yeah, prime. I'm gonna put you on the spot now. Okay. Prime Penny, prime Scotty. Ooh, woo. Man, that's a tough one. Penny was real. Listen. And Scotty was real. You know, anybody needs to go back and look at Penny Hardaway in his prime. I've sat there and watched him take over games when Shaq got in foul trouble. I mean, I'm looking, I'm I'm like, is this Magic Johnson? But Scotty Pippen, that dude is something special, man. From coming from central Arkansas, not being able to dribble. And in his prime, I would have to give the edge to Pip, man. So, I love Pip's game, and and I and I try to when I try to compare him, like who would I rather have, Scotty or say say Barkley? You when you when you want a bucket, mm-hmm. you're gonna give the ball to Charles. Mm-hmm. He's a problem. And but like when you think about Pippen's Scotty's overall game, everything that he does, what it and and I mean everybody loved playing with him, right? Because he. He's gonna play D, and he's gonna set you up, and he's not gonna—he's gonna make it easier for everybody on the court. So it's like it's hard to take. I feel—I feel like he, even though he's one of the top fifty of all time, I almost feel like he gets underrated. Listen, I mean, yeah, you can give Charles the ball to score, but Charles gonna play defense. <laughs> but Pip all around game, man. People just—he's um, so un- to me, he's top fifty, of course, but he's so underrated, man. People just don't understand what he did for this. Uh, this team, the Chicago Bulls, defense, rebound, open floor, worked on his three-point shooting, yeah. got better, and he made his teammates better. When MJ retired, that year we won ridiculous. 55 games, which Pip should have got MVP. He got, I think he got MVP in the All-Star 
uh, game. Okay. But he should have got – man, the way he carried us and was our leader, it just shows you something about that young man. Yeah, nobody thought that that team – people didn't think you were going to make the playoffs. No, no. And we – you know, the thing is <clears throat> you get tired of being called Jordan and the Jordanaires. Right. And then you have – I mean, we knew what type of talent we had. You know, we had the um, old head Bill Cartwright. And then uh, uh, myself and Tony and BJ, all of us, we knew, man. Pete Myers, we we knew. We knew we had the team. I mean, um, un- until that phantom foul. Right. <laughs> I mean, who knows? You you, you could have you gone to the finals and, and played a team and the whole thing. But that was – that's like when, when people talk about the greatest team of all time, it's like, look, man, those dudes won 55 games without MJ. Yeah. You put – you put MJ, in my mind, this is in my mind, you know, I, I don't think anybody beats the 90s Bulls. You can you can talk about the Lakers, you can talk in any era, but that team, you guys were phenomenal defensively. You had the, you had the best scorer in the history of the game. You had the most clutch guy. You got, and there was just so many things you could do. I just tell anyone, you, you take today, you take the best player from any team, take LeBron when he was in Cleveland, you take him away, uh, you take uh, uh, Durant from OKC, you take any best player, and see how that team performs. It's going to tell you a lot about that team. When MJ retired, it told the whole story about uh, that team. Tell me the story of the 1.8 that year you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Phil's going with Tony because one thing about Scotty, like money shot at the end of the game uh-huh. wasn't him. Right. Tony, on the other hand, he had that ice water. And so, <laughs> but so you're sitting there and now he won't go on the court. What was, what was going on in your head? You know, actually – we were like, you know, what the hell? And, you know, the mature of that team, we could have just, like, went off on him the whole nine yards and been distracted of what Phil had drew up. We went out there, and, and Tony made that shot, and it was like, all right, yeah, Phil made, you know what he's doing. But we, uh, Bill Cartwright addressed it in the locker room. That was the first time I ever seen Bill Cartwright, cry. He said, Pip, you let us down. You let the whole team down. And Pip felt so bad, man. We understood. We understood. But yet and still, um, it wasn't the thing to do, but we all make mistakes. Who can set the court on fire? Only the Bulls keep us burning with desire. All right, let me bring in my guy, Brian Beto, the voice of Bradley Basketball, former WGN intern and current sparring partner partner on Twitter who just wants to scream at all my Jordan takes, which offends me to the end of the world. But he's my good buddy, and that's why I want to have it out with him tonight and just talk about episodes five and six. Badog, how are you, buddy? Good, my friend. How about yourself? So what did you like most, episodes five and six? And by the way, you can you don't even have to pick five and six, like one through six. Like what's been your favorite moment so far? Oh, man. I mean, I did like the first, the character developments early on, the Dennis 
story was obviously great. It's been talked about a lot with uh, Michael showing up after a staycation, things like that. I guess, you know, thinking about tonight, since those have been rehashed, I, this, and this kind of goes back to our sparring on, on Twitter. And uh, just so you know, everyone listening, Mark and I have a very different opinion about who the best Bulls team was. And in fairness, Mark was a little bit more, or was a little bit older and had a little bit better appreciation for the first three feet things that 91 was better than 96. And one of the reasons why I think 96 was better outside of all the statistics that support that, and I'm not going to get into that because he's going to call me a stat ad, is that DJ tonight, my favorite quote of the night outside of when Seinfeld said that plane's not going to work when he's pointing at the the board in the garden. That was fantastic. (laughs) But the best part was when DJ gets on and says, after 91, so going into 91, 92, that's when he stopped learning about that's when he stopped playing basketball and he basically just started knowing how to win. Not that he didn't know how to win before. I don't remember the exact quote, but that's what I thought separated sort of that, not the last three, because 98 is the worst of the six, but at least I think that's a consensus, but that 96 team, he just knew how to win on both ends of the floor at the end of games, no matter what. So I thought that was the most interesting takeaway in addition to him still claiming that he was not the reason behind Isaiah being knocked off the drain team or anything like that. Well, so I'm glad you brought up the Isaiah thing. Two things on that. BJ's comment, the way I heard it and remembering it right now, was that everybody else was out there playing the game, and he just let everybody, the other nine guys, do whatever they were going to do, and then he would just insert himself to win the game whenever it was needed, which – it's a, if people want to argue like like the ninety one versus ninety two, like ninety two was a slog through the playoffs. We saw the you know seven games with the Knicks. They went six with a Cavs team that wasn't great, and they went you know uh, what's who was the finals that year? Oh, then Portland. four games too. Yeah, I mean, what six against Portland, and then six yeah. against Portland. And look, they could have swept Portland in that series, but they ended up losing games. Like they shouldn't have lost game two. They could have won the game on the road, whatever. But they knew at that point that they were the best and they were the champs. So there was a certain level of arrogance that they didn't have before 91. So that's, that's all true. But again, there was, there was the wear and tear of it's the second year and all that type of stuff. But the Isaiah thing, that was interesting because I had never heard him give Isaiah that much praise. He called him the second greatest point guard of all time. I thought that was a hell of a compliment by him. And I don't know if Isaiah was able to hear it, but that was pretty, I thought pretty big of MJ to say, look, Magic's the best, and then him. Yeah, and I don't know if he's posturing there, but it makes his opinion about the whole situation seem more credible, credible and less emotional. Because obviously, he clearly, you know, takes things personally, and that was basically the theme of the episode tonight for the most part. But the fact that he took the emotion out of it and was like, "Listen, this dude, outside of just me hating the guy, like the dude can play. It has nothing to do with his game." He, he knows magic. He's close with magic. He says the guy closely behind him is Isaiah Thomas, and that's about as good of a praise as you can get, the second-best point guard of all time. So, for a guy that he hates. Yeah. So. I, what was your take on the political part? Uh, not a surprise. Um, I mean, that was one of the few criticisms that he was getting back then, so I don't think I knew the, the specific story. I remember the quote, per se, and, you know, he didn't want to walk it back things of that nature. But I think I remember that even at the time when I was a kid, what was interesting to me is about just that whole time period is that, like I said, I was younger going up to that first repeat, but I was the dude 
sitting in the cassette with the single Be Like Mike listening over and over to the same song. Like, I would go to McDonald's and get Mighty Wings just because Michael did. I got Citrus Cooler as a Gatorade because I saw Michael, like, said it was his favorite Gatorade. So I'd wear that to, like, lace up my, my pumps from Converse in, like, the early 90s. And, you know, so even though that was a Michael shoe, but then I would get my Citrus Cooler Gatorade. And it was like, even when he would say something like that, I was too naive to, like, really understand what was going on. And you remember it, but, like, at the same time, he just had this, I guess, air of making everything feel like it's okay and that he was just, like, I, I don't know. It was just that that part of the episode that just made me, what you said about the political thing triggered me to think about some of the marketability that was discussed that really changed, like, everything and how athletes are marketed. And that, that like, hit me in the field probably more than anything so, I guess tonight, um, just because of because of that early time frame in the early nineties. How old were you in ninety two? When they won, that would have been seven. Seven. So okay, seven you're, and a half. you're a seven year old kid. You're seeing be like Mike. Yeah. Pretty pretty damn powerful, man. It's, it, this is the team, it, it, right? Everything. You you and again, I'm not sitting here to try to be an analyst on the ninety two team without finally watching a recap like. No, but I, I think I it's just—I think it's just interesting right. for me to hear like what a seven-year-old watching that commercial and right. wanting to drink it, like what it was like for you. I think that's super interesting. Yeah. you know. And you were the—we would line up at the beginning of your practice and uh, like beginning of like your you know youth basketball league, and whoever there would just be a bunch of random like jerseys out there, and everyone would fight over the number twenty-three. And like I said, half the group would have citrus cooler Gatorades. It wasn't even that good of a flavor. They just liked it because Michael said it was like his favorite. And you get your Mighty Wings, you had your Coke. Like we actually had, my sister in her room had the Michael Jordan cardboard cutout where, you know, in a home alone where he puts it on the thing to pretend like people are home when Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern come by. We actually had that in our house. Like our entire house was surrounded by that type of stuff. Like I remember this, I guess, was a few years later after the second three-peat, but they talked about the tickets thing tonight yeah, and how hard it was. And I know you know about the reseller market. There was no StubHub, obviously. So it was so hard to get tickets. And I remember the first time I actually got to see them in person, it was a preseason game going into the 96-97 season that my parents took me as a surprise. And it was like the best time of my life. And it was a preseason basketball game. And like, you don't want to like, stat, exa- like exaggerate the point, but I don't think people understand, especially that are the long, younger, like how big of a ticket that was just to go to a, a preseason game to see Jordan play what ten to fifteen minutes. And what they said earlier in the, you know, the the, um, uh, the doc a couple episodes ago, and they talked about this, and I think like the uh, it was either Michael to the Max or one of those DVDs that Michael put out back in the day. And talked about how his some of his motivation when he didn't have like a personal grudge to light someone up was that somebody in the crowd had never seen him before, so he was going to put on a show regardless. They talked about that in that Paris tournament going to ninety seven, ninety eight, and that's kind of what it felt like going to the UC. Um, even in that second repeat when the games, did, some of the games didn't matter, especially in the preseason. Yeah, there's a lot of rare air footage. The him doing take after take after take. I'm like, this is interesting that you're choosing to show this. And I do appreciate, by the way, that they went back and got the NBA entertainment outtakes from the rare air video just to see. Yeah, so you know, good. That, that's, that's a good effort right there. Um, and, I, and this thing about the ticket thing, too, like 
I, I ran across something on Twitter this week where they were this somebody is collecting. It was from the Midway Minute, which is a thing that Kevin Kada puts out, and a guy is collecting tickets from every single game that Jordan's ever played, and the finals ticket was twenty five bucks for the first balcony, and you just talked about twenty five bucks, and you're you're talking about how there wasn't StubHub. The resale market. Now we never sold our tickets. You know, we weren't. You know, my dad had them, and he, you know, did okay for himself. So we weren't selling our seats. But my brother, who was in his twenties, and he had one ticket. Like he had four friends that each had one seat, and he wasn't doing well. So he was selling his tickets, and they were. You know, it was the the markup that you could sell them to Gold Coast tickets. You were getting twenty times the face value because they didn't know yep. what it was worth. It was so those tickets, it it was a totally different game. Being a Bulls season ticket holder that at that time, you were in the money times seven million. It was it was unbelievable. The tickets were way underpriced, and they were and and we yeah. and we. By the way, my family was complaining. I can't believe they raised it five bucks this year. It's like. <laughs> We, we were doing that, but it, they were great, great value. That's it's weird to think about. Uh, we couldn't, we couldn't even figure out like how to get them. That was our problem because like we didn't, we lived out in the you know further northwest suburbs, so like you didn't just go and like make calls and stuff like that. It was tough. I remember like me and my siblings, we'd watch the sports channel like halftime and post game show with Norm Van Leer and Chet Kopic, and they would like show like some sort of graphic. And when you got the graphic came on the TV, you would try to pick up your landline and call. And we'd have like, try to have like two lines and we'd call it the same thing just to get tickets. Cause you'd never seen the guy play in person. Like, I mean, this sounds like a total, like back in my day type of thing, like you know, the internet and stuff like that, but it was true. And like just watching this stuff and seeing the ticket things and the lines outside of uh, uh, the UC going into that last season, just brought back all those memories. Yeah. And, with all due respect to Joe O'Neill, complaining that there was tough job. Yeah, come on, man. <laughs> Are we really going with the, for the sympathy for the ticket guy that's been there for? It was hard, man. We had a lot of. Okay, dude, come on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Y- yes, it's, it's really difficult. I mean, this. I mean, I, I appreciated the guy that they brought in, in like what eight, like nineteen eighty one, the director of ticket sales. Like that guy's job was tough. Like I had some sympathy for that guy, but. <laughs> I know. I, by the way, I know I could probably talk to you, and you're like, you're. I figured you're about to stop me and start rattling off some 1981 statistics right now. So that's why I kept just blowing through that speech, so you wouldn't get to that point. The, the 80. I think O'Neill was there in 81, which is like, which makes it even more impressive. Like, dude, that that was a thing, dude. Like the Bulls, you you would hear like they the Bulls kind of wanted things to get back to normal. It was too crazy. I'm like, want to get things back to normal? Really? <laughs> Why the hell would you want that? I mean, geez, yeah. Lou, things have been. The Cubs, like the Cubs front office, they're like marketing people being like, "Man, 2016 is just tough. Can we just go back to like 2010 yeah. a little bit and just when things are a little bit easier?" Let's get Darwin Barney <laughs> running around out there again, so nobody's asking us for tickets. Um, all right, couple more before you you go to bed and and live your dream here. Yeah. Uh, are you at all like taken aback by how much cigars the dude was just chowing down? Like, bro, you're the best athlete in the history of the game, and you're just nonstop smoking cigars. I I, I kind of find it like, wh- wh- where was the kale back in '98 slash '95 or whatever year you want to pick? 
Dude, I'm 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 convinced that science just math didn't really affect that dude. I mean, I learned that about Dennis Rodman too. Maybe that's why Jordan loved him so much because he's the only guy that was like can just recover on nothing, um, which was incredible. Just talk about like the health and then just staying up till five in the morning. And then there was some quote about magic where he'd get two hours of sleep. And then you know this is nothing I guess new. It came out in the Dream Team doc too where. When I had 8 a.m. tea time, then you have like 30 points by halftime that day. I would just kill. I couldn't even, like, my, my prime in college, I could never have any experience like that where I was even close to being able to um, perform at any level like he was able to do. Just psychos. And I don't know. That was wild. Speaking of the dream team, this is, I know this is off the cuff here, but Go like, ahead. I knew the story before, but the Tony thing is just unbelievable to me. Like, nothing, literally nothing against that dude. Like, actually, I want to give him, I would love to see him get a little bit more airtime because I don't know if you saw with Steve Kerr's quote the other week that says, I hate the fact that I'm on this like poster for the last dance. Like he's the fourth guy. It's Michael, Scotty, Dennis, and then uh, Phil's part of it. And then Steve Curry's like, it should be Tony. He's like, he had to deal with all of being Jerry's guy who came over after a war and it just gets kind of thrown under the bus a little bit. And the fact that they literally admitted the fact that Jerry Krause liked the guy. So we're just going to make his life completely miserable regardless. And again, you knew that going into it, it wasn't a revelation, but just to see it again, just as every time I see highlights of that, of him just they're draping all over him for the full 90 feet. It's just, I, I crack up. It's just hysterical to me to see just the level of pettiness that comes from that. And what I had forgotten about is that in the title game, he came back and played big. Played well. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm like, Tony, I totally forgot about that. And that's impressive. And I thought who, whatever the comment was about like, hey, man, this dude's coming from a war-torn country. You two guys, you know, think you're going to break yeah. him on one game. Get the fuck out of here, you know? And I yeah, also, Like, he's not soft like you're making him out to be, right. you know? Right, and then I also thought that like Scotty's comment, like, "Yeah, I don't think he's an NBA player," and like Michael's like, "No, no, 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 he's going up against the eleven greatest players in the world. Let's take it easy on the guy." <laughs> the best basketball team of all, the best best athletic team probably ever assembled. Which just underlined that Jordan's way smarter than Pippen forever and always, and just okay, it settles. Yeah, who has who had the who had the worst moment of the night was it michael losing to that one of the security guys in the quarters game or is it charles smith having to see that highlight one more time i'm gonna actually that was just the best part that was so good pippen's block on that sequence was underrated i i thought that i i I don't know. I was watching. Which one? Didn't he have two of them? Horace I think, had the first one, Michael, and then Scotty. Yeah. One. Horace gets him, blocks him. Michael strips him, and then Scotty gets him from behind. And then I, I and then I forget at the last fourth one, which is kind of amazing. I've seen it seven zillion times. You know what's funny about it? Because wasn't like the year before in the play was it the playoffs when they basically do the same thing to Gerald Wilkins, but this one just happened to be in a more dramatic end of the game situation where Jordan just blocks him like three consecutive times, and then they followed up a year later doing it to Charles Smith, and then they didn't show the highlight tonight. They show the packs in three, but then they do it again to well, Horace Grant does it to to Kevin Johnson to clinch title game so it's just the 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 rim protection and getting it from all areas of the from their guard their two guard their three and their four is just just phenomenal and like i talk about all the time this group especially i know i talk about the second three people a lot but the 96 team just the defense 
that was just completely underrated. And it, it's always just showed up in those big moments. Straight lunatics. Uh, and you're talking about Gerald Wilkins, Jordan hitting the shot over him, the Jordan stopper to uh, sweep out the Cavs in 92. I think that's what yeah. you're talking about. Uh, which yeah, was... I just remember Marv Albert going, Wilkins rejected, Wilkins rejected. <laughs> like, I can't remember the exact sequence, but I remember that. So uh, at some point, I'm going to look it up as soon as this is over, but it happened. Okay, so then I'm, I'm, I'm not remembering that, and now I wanna, I'm gonna no. do, I'll, I'll double-check that up with you as well. Uh, I actually thought the guy that looked the worst tonight in any one moment, outside of, I thought Jordan with his politics was, was real rough, and I mean, that's kind of how I started the show tonight. Like, look, just own it. I was soft. I was a pussy. I should have I sh- I endorsed. It was weak. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, and, and I, I was too concerned about my image, but instead he's like, you know, I never wanted to be Muhammad Ali, and if you don't like me, then I'm not the guy for you. Like, whoa, d- even now? Couldn't you just look, come on, man, have a little bit of, I I wanted a little bit more reflection there. But I also thought uh, Jerry Krause, after their second title, in the locker room, screaming about what an incredible organization it was. Oh, that was incredible. I'm like, oh my God, dude, shut up. Just stop yourself. And like, you know, he was just trying to... He kept talking, saying it starts with Jerry Reinsdorf. He was just saying at a point to be passive-aggressive about, hey, actually, it's like, I don't forget, it's Jerry Krause. who's the guy underneath Jerry Krause. That's, or Jerry Reinsdorf, excuse me, that's me. And he said it like four times. He's like, yeah, the team's great, but it all starts with Jerry Reinsdorf. So, actually, doesn't. Yeah. Doesn't. And, and, and like, how, like, just the fact that he just had such a need to spew that nonsense at that moment in time, which – but I, I am getting a little bit of the the Jordan just dissing of Krause at all moments. Don't smoke that cigar; it's going to stunt your growth. <laughs> you're, you're gonna you, that was that was incredible. Can I have one of those? I think you're going to have a cigar when this is all over. I think it's happened. I, I, you might be having one right now. I, I I yes. Let's 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 all let's get on a Zoom after episode ten, and we'll all just. <laughs> create a viral moment so, what, so what's the next one next one's obviously going to be about the retirement and baseball um, james jordan I, return that yeah, sort of thing right yeah the derrick rose return the, it's, uh, the original return it's interesting because michael's got a lot of creative control and he allowed the political stuff in there how much is going to be in yeah, about and it? the gambling yeah, but how much is going to be in on the dad and that might be where he draws the line i'll be i'm very interested to see what they do me too uh, with James. Yeah, because this is the most – because, like, the, the – oh, one last thought, um, and, I, and I hate doing this. I absolutely hate it because I, I – you know how I feel about – I think LeBron James is a top three or top two basketball player of all time, and I hate doing, like oh, – I hate this, like, well, I can like Michael Jordan, and I have to make a comment about LeBron James. But I think, like, it's funny because a lot of people will say that Michael never faced any scrutiny, like – LeBron or any of these players do today. And while they are to an extent, that's true. There's no social media. And it's like, it's way more heightened. But like literally the half of the episode, and again, I know it's Jordan tilted. Half of the episode was about the scrutiny that he went under that the news kind of directed based on his, his gambling and, and stuff like that. And where I'd be the first person to say, if some dude went to Atlantic City after he lost the game, like, who cares? Like, think about something else. Like, I can't believe that was a thing, even in the early 90s. I, I just, I didn't realize how big of a deal it was. I guess that was the one big revelation tonight. And it makes no sense to me. Yeah. That's my one thing. It, it, my rant. It, well, it reminded me, too, dude, because, um, you know, when, when his dad died or was murdered, 
I was very concerned that he was going to retire. And I had forgotten that I had gotten to that point because Magic said, you guys are going to drive him out of the game because he said in game one before the Phoenix series, like how soon? Well, it could be this year. Like I was, I forgot like my, my nerves were already up about it because he was talking about it. And I, I had forgotten what that whole part of, you know, what led up to it, which is interesting to me too, because the way they're selling it right now is that he was going to walk away, period. James doesn't get murdered. He's still not playing. So, uh, and then you it makes you wonder, like, well, because I'll I'll make the argument, well, they would have won in '94, they would have won in '95. It, the burnout was a real right. thing with him. It just it was. It's it's you can't just do it year after year after year after year. It's it's going to catch up to you. So maybe he needed the break, and maybe maybe the six titles. I still think they would have won in '99, but most people don't. Whatever. Maybe the six was was you know as much as they were going to get. I don't know. Uh, yeah, and 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 I remember so to get back to me being like the ones I really, really remember, like I was a psycho when I was like a 10, 12, 13 year old, they were 13 when I won in 98. And again, we're fast forwarding here, but I'm guessing like, this is, I'll be talking to you after that last one, but Michael's shot. I, I remember thinking like, Oh my God, this is the last game. Like, this is terrible. Like I can't, I can't like have this be a kid and be like, this is it. Like you knew how special, like that's how crazy it was when you were 13 you think that anything is just going to happen, you know, like you're going to see this again. I knew outside of like the Cubs winning the world series, like nothing for me would be like as cool as what I was currently watching, which is how you know it's special. And I remember thinking like, please don't let this be the last game. But then he hits a shot. And I'm, I literally remember crying like after they like stopped and this is the shot game's over. Old win. We're crying thinking like, I never going to see anything like this again. And I'm like, God, this really sucks. And then in the post game, Steve Kerr, they're like just after the celebration, they have him in the conference. They asked somebody, I don't remember the exact quote, like literally the only time I've ever seen this was after the 98 championship. They asked Steve Kerr about, who's obviously become one of the best, you know, speakers um, the NBA has had. They go, like, so what do you think? Is Michael going to retire? And Steve Kerr literally along the line says, I hope he does. Like, can you, can you imagine? like the storybook ending that is. And he goes, never thought I'd say this, but I, you know, I hope he does along those lines. And at that moment, I remember thinking like, I hope he does retire. So I was rude. I, I can't believe I'm admitting to this. I was rooting for his retirement because I thought it would be the perfect way to, to cap off. Like what seemed like a fairy tale. I know he comes back a couple of years later with the wizards, but I remember rooting for retirement. So I'm, you can land base me for that all you want, but because of what kind of Steve Kerr said, I saw that perspective and I was done. It, it wrapped up. It, it wrapped up in uh, poetic fashion for me. I mean, Sam Smith. Thanks for humoring me on that. No, it's, it's it. like, here, I, it makes me want to read you the text chain that I had with Sam Smith last night where I was, and maybe I shouldn't do that because perhaps that was a, that's a private thing. But basically, I don't think it is. Either. <laughs> but but basically, I was you know I, I I he's like he's yelling at me because I was he's like sure sure you you're just a dreamer. Like I was like look, Michael should have come back. You give Scotty the long term contract. You trade him when Jordan leaves, and Phil owed it to Michael to stay. And he's like, right, that's yeah. how, that's and plus it's a fifty game season, right? So yeah. like they could rest because it was the strike. Right. And he's like, Yeah, you you would that's how you live your life, doing living for other people. As if you know, like why would Phil do that? And 
and and I and basically saying that look, Jordan, they offered him to stay. He was done. He was burnt. He was out, just like he was in '93. It was he left. It was done. And I and the more yeah. the more you're just watching all of this, it's like he did. It, it wasn't as much as I want to thumb Kraus and or whoever else. Really, at the end of the day, it was Michael's decision. It really was. Yeah. And totally. So, I mean, I, you hate to like. I mean, literally, he's gonna be like, "Who the hell are these guys?" You know making an opinion about this, but I agree with you that at the end of the day, that if, yeah, he didn't want to play for another coach. Not that it was, that was a cop out, but if he really wanted to keep playing that badly, do you think if they brought back, well, I guess Tim Floyd was coming in probably regardless at that point, but but Tim Floyd would have came in and like dictated what Michael would have done. It wouldn't have really changed anything. So I think you're right. I think it was, kind of his own decision and some of the footage, you know, they, that they showed tonight sort of, sort of mimic that too. And Reinsdorf yeah. said to him at the time too, he's like, look, he, he, they made Tim Floyd the coach in waiting. If Michael wants to come back, he can come back. And if Michael wants to pick a coach, then Tim will do something else. They did all that. They did. Now he wasn't going to give Scotty the, of a, 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 you know, a long-term deal, but they were doing everything they could and he left. So and I and I still and, and I said to Sam, I'm like, do you think that he regrets it? And he's like, because I think he does. Like, wh- why wouldn't you keep playing? But he's like, I don't think he regrets one damn thing about it. So I hope they ask him that question coming up here. Brian Beto, you're awesome, dude. That was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, me as well, dude. I, I mean, I get so wired. I can't even sleep right now anyways <laughs> if I wanted to. But yeah, I'm like two hours past my bedtime, but the fact that this was on just gets me so fired up. It's like, use another 90s reference. It's like must-see TV Thursday nights on NBC. This is this is that good. Every every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on ESPN, I am just locked in. Yeah, and so, that's, It was my wife's birthday last week, last uh, Sunday. No, normally we do a lot of like Sunday night programming. You know, you got Westworld and Homeland and Billions starting tonight. Shout out to your boy David Kaplan for that. And you know, I didn't even. She just knew that Last Dance was coming on, so that's when you know that you uh, married the right one too. So I appreciate the conversation you having me on. Good job, Sarah. Way to go, Brian. Glad you guys are. It's been a long time now. How long have you been married? Ten years. It'll be. Seven years in August. Wow, it's a good run. It's a Thirteen years since I was your intern. So that's a big time run right there. All right, Bad- run. All big right, run. dog. Talk to you, brother. All right, man. I'll talk to you. Thanks for listening, everybody. Like, subscribe, tell a friend. Do Windy City Podcast. Thanks for listening. Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.